So as we take time this summer to look at all the one another's, how we love, how we serve, how we accept, how we build up and instruct, honor, and uh, just treat each other, treat one another the way we're supposed to, I think maybe you're like me and it causes you a lot of introspection to look at going like, well, how am I doing at all of this? If somebody were to evaluate how I'm doing with all of the one another's, what would their response be? Not mine, but theirs. Would they look at it and say, I can see the consistent mark of all those one another's in their lives? Because we look at the condition of our hearts, because our hearts always want to rebel against what God wants us to do, the character and nature of God, all right, with our sinful flesh that's inside of us. We want to go our own way and do our own thing, even though God has a new way for us. And it reminds me of a story I heard uh, recently about a Holocaust survivor who was to be a part of the trials of a former Nazi soldiers that were responsible for horrendous acts uh, committed against Jews and others. And as he entered the courtroom to testify, his eyes fell on the man that was particularly responsible for what he had to endure. And when he saw him, he buckled to his knees and fell to the ground and was sobbing uncontrollably. And when asked later to the surprise of those who asked, he wasn't overcome because of the memories of prison camps and of seeing that man's face and all the horrors that he had done to people. It was that when he looked at him and saw him outside of his Nazi uniform, he saw him for the frail human being that he was, he recognized that they were very much alike and that he too in his heart was capable of such evil. And it broke him. It broke him that inside him, he was of the same ilk. There isn't two types of sin and evil in the world. There isn't a sin that's truly reserved just for the heinous and the truly evil of this world. And one that's reserved for the ones that are not so bad. You know, we're, we're pretty good people. There's not two types of sin and evil. There's only one. And I think for me, the gray areas of life have become very apparent in this one another series. How there is not much room for gray. It's either we're following him or we're not. We're either loving one another or we're not. We're either hearing his words and doing them or we're not. It's hard. But it brings me back to the grace of God. It brings me back to the grace of God that even in the midst of the times that I fail, where I don't love you the way I'm supposed to, when I don't serve you the way that I'm supposed to, that God's grace is sufficient. Not for me or you just to stay in that place, but that as we grow to reflect his character more and more, his grace is sufficient to cover us because it's never about us earning it. It's never about us achieving a standard that he goes, you did it. You've earned your way here. You've earned your place at this level. It's always because of his grace. Because we are always capable of something that we dare not even think. So as we continue today, the passage that we're going to look at 
It's given by biblical editors. It's given a title. It's not, it wasn't really in Paul's letter that he was writing, but it, they added it in to talk about, like give us a heading of what he was talking about. And the heading they gave it is this, Marks of a True Christian. Marks of a True Christian. And the, the inspired words of uh, the Apostle Paul, they've been seen through centuries as giving definitive ways for us to reflect and evaluate on our willingness to daily surrender to Christ, to take up our cross and follow him. It's a truly daily habit that we do that, to see the, 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 the way that our sinful nature is tempting us to live in our own desires, in our own emotional satisfaction, rather than taking on the mind of Christ and living for the glory of God. And as you may have noticed, every one another that we've looked at, I always comment on how the verb that it's used in there speaks to one thing in particular, that this is an intentional, every moment of your day way of living. That there's not moments where you have to go like, okay, here comes a moment where I'll have to be one another-like. And then here comes another moment later in the week where I'm going to have to be one another-like. It's every moment of our lives. It's every, every day, every hour of the day, we live intentionally going, how do I love one another? How do I treat one another? How do I serve one another? How do I honor one another? It's, it's active. It's every moment. It's intentional where we're seeking it out. We're looking almost to the future to say, where are there going to be opportunities in the rest of my day to live this way? And that's completely different, isn't it? Today's passage is going to be no different. And so we're going to read it together here. And again, we're going to read it in its full context. And then we're going to look to understand it within that context of what Paul's trying to say. The marks of a true Christian. This is found from Romans 12, 9 to 21, if you want to follow along in your own Bible. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, and outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. So do not become, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the portion of Scripture that we've read this morning.
that talk about the true marks of a Christian and what it looks like to follow you, not just believe in you. We pray that today as we look at a few lines in this passage that you would help us open our hearts to receive what you, Holy Spirit, want to speak to us, both individually and corporately, and how we can learn to follow you more closely, how in step with you and your spirit we can be as a community and as individuals. We pray this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Now, you can see when you're reading this why it has the heading marks of a true Christian. This string of zingers, one after the other, coming at you about how we're not to respond in our flesh. No wonder some will preach this line by line, verse by verse, methodically going through it all. And while we may want to pick on an area where we're doing okay and justify ourselves, we'll look at that whole list and go like, you know what, that one, see there, I'm doing good. I'm doing not bad. I saw one in there that I'm handling pretty well. The thing is, this is not like spiritual gifts where we all get one or two, but we don't have to worry about the rest because somebody else is going to take care of those. This isn't like that. This is something that each and every one of us is supposed to be growing in, continuing to look like Jesus as we exhibit all of these attributes in a growing fashion. Nobody's asking you to walk out today and be perfect at all of these, but that you notice and you hear when God says, hey, you need to pay attention to this. You need to listen to this. Do you see how you just treated that person right there? The thought that went off in your head when you saw them walk by or you heard them say something, I need you to change that because they are fearfully and wonderfully made. They are a precious child of mine. And you need to see them that way. There's an interconnectedness between all of them. You can't just pick one and go like, look, I'm doing fine. The rest of them, eh, whatever. We'll figure it out as we go. There's an interconnectedness in them all that when you look at one and you try to live out one, you'll see that it touches on the next and then the next and the next. And they all come together to actually look like the, a true Christian. It's an amazing checklist to evaluate the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Are you genuine in your love or do you fake it, not meaning it when you talk about love for one another? Does evil make you so sick that you cling to good, that you run away from it because it almost physically upsets you that you cling to good so you stay away from evil? Does your love for other believers go as deep as your love for family? Would you defend them, stand for them, stand with them as much as you'd stand with your family? Do you, do you lift others and elevate them above yourself? Do you compete in that? Do you almost have a competition between each other and who can give the most honor we should, be, we should have almost trouble exiting the building because everybody else is going, no, no, you go first. No, 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 you go first. No, no, you go first. There's a backlog because nobody can get out because everybody wants to treat the other with respect and honor and put them in front of themselves. Are you lazy in your faith or are you passionate for the things of God? Do you rejoice in the hope that you have? 
Are you patient when you're tested? Are you constantly praying? Do you bless those who give you a hard time? Literally bless them. And not even in your, under your breath and in your heart curse them. But do you take a moment when they give you a hard time to stop and say, God, I have to give this to you. And I want you to bless them. That whatever's causing them to act this way, that God, you, you deal with that in order to bring around a change. Bless them. Do you live life with others? Rejoicing with them, mourning with them through all aspects of life. I could go on, but you get the point. These things are so beyond us in our own strength, aren't they? We can look through that checklist, those questions, and go like, oh, man, am I ever going to <laughs> not do well on this test? There's going to be so many times where I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be challenged to say I've got that covered, except for the power of Jesus, except for the power of Jesus. We cannot live these things out without his power changing us from the inside out. And again, it's from the inside out. It's never our outside behavior that becomes the change in our hearts. It's God changing our hearts so that our outward behavior becomes an outflow of what God has done in our lives, not something we're trying to earn by our outward actions. We rely, we rely on him daily to give us strength to do what no person has ever been able to do. Maybe not even Enoch. If you know Enoch, he just kind of lived and then was no more. It seemed like God just took him because he loved him and wanted him to come to heaven. Even he didn't do this perfectly. Today, there's two verses that I'd like to highlight that I believe are relevant for us as a community. And the first one is this, verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. See, how we live this out is going to be done in a few ways and seen in a few ways in our community. The first one is giving to the church. Like Pastor Ingrid was talking about earlier, those, the tithes and the offerings that, that, are, that are received at the church. Second one is, is seeing the needs of brothers and sisters in the church and helping. And the third is finding opportunities to host and bless other followers of Jesus, to bring them into your home, to find ways to, to show hospitality to them, receiving them, and honoring them as if they were Jesus himself. And often in a church, we refer to tithes and offerings. And a tithe literally means a tenth. That's where the word comes from, 10% of what we earn or receive. And it's found throughout the Bible, the whole Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, pre-covenants, pre-Old Testament covenants, pre-all the laws that God gave to Moses, they were, they were giving a tenth to God before then. To during uh, both, both covenants, we see them talking about it. And we can wonder, is, is tithing biblical? Is that something that we're still supposed to do today, or is it something that was for the last generation? Now, there's different... There's different answers to that question. Different theologians will, will give you uh, different, different op opinions on that. Some believe that we are still held to the standard of the tithe, of giving 10% of everything that comes in. 
Others believe that we'll be re- we're released from this law because it was a civil law in order to take care of the priests within the community, that they would, they would receive a tenth in order so they could continue just to be in the temple and, uh, and help, help the whole nation of Israel uh, worship God in the temple. And now that we don't use the temple at all in our following, following of God, that that is no longer necessary. Uh, but whatever way you want to land on your theology on this, one thing is that is still cleared, clear is that we're called to give generously, that we're called to be almost radical in our generosity. What we need to wrestle with is that everything we have comes from God. Everything that we are comes from God. It's actually His. So it may be only natural that we tithe or, or designate a part of our earnings in thanksgiving to the God that we serve. And ultimately, the, the 10% tithe is only the beginning of what generosity should really look like for us in the church. Jesus, when pointing at hypocrisy in the Pharisees, who were very zealous, like we read in the verses before, uh, they were very fervent in spirit, passionate about, about following God, but they missed the mark when it came to the personhood of God and the precept, uh, the law of the tithe. He says to this them, this says this to them in Matthew 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have rejected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. They tithe mint. Can you imagine that today? Going into your mint jars and your cumin jars and your dill jars and and measuring out a 10% of all of that and bringing that in to the church. That's pretty intense, isn't it? That's how zealous they were about going, you must give a tenth of everything that you have has to be given. They would go to that level. They're still missing it with their hearts. Or when Jesus, again, chastises Pharisees for how they view taxation and how it speaks to what we are to give to God. See in Matthew 22, 15 to 22, and then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him with his own words. And they sent their disciples to him and along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully and that you do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And again, at this time, they are an occupied nation. Rome has come and taken over Israel. And so they are giving taxes and paying taxes to a foreign government from from their point of view. So just think of that if that were our scenario today. We had another country come in and start adding taxes in to what? Uh, into how we live. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and render to God the 
the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. And to God, the things that are God's. What belongs to God? Everything. Whose image do you bear? God's image. He said, let us make man in our image. The things that are God's, we give to God. Both these passages speak to our relationship with God and how it should affect our finances. We are God's possession. Everything we are and have is for the glory of God. We may feel released from a rule of 10%, but God says, radically give to all in need. Take care of the church, its people, and its mission. And in that regard, being honest and open, open-handed before God, 10% may be just the starting point for some. And for us to continue to grow here in our, our community and see more people come to a saving knowledge of God and to be discipled and to see re- revival hit Cornwall and the Seaway region, it will continue, or it will require the continued and dedicated healthy giving of all of us. Status quo as a community is not the heart of God. And that this morning, uh, Brother Andre was sharing with us uh, a few words on uh, uh, this morning in our, in our pre-service uh, gathering. And he had a gr- some great examples of uh, what it looks like when we may be putting money first before God and our heart is after money, even if we don't have a lot of money. It's not whether you have a ton, but if your heart is still after money. And if you want to know what those were, uh, I encourage you to seek out Brother Andre. He's sitting at the back there at the stool. Wave to us, Brother Andre. He'll love to talk to you about it. So you go see him. I'm not joking. I'm not joking. He'd love to talk to you. If, you. if you question that in your heart and go like, how do I know whether or not my heart is pursuing God or whether I have a lot of finances and money to, to take that place, then he's got a great little list that can help you search your heart and see whether or not money has taken a place that it shouldn't. Jesus would also say this about how we are to support those that need help. Matthew 6, 3 to 4. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When we give, we give because we give to God. When we serve, it's because we are serving people as they reflect the image of God. So I encourage you just to let God ask you what you would need to do for him. As we embrace being a family of God and helping each other like family, we're not to broadcast our help, but be humble, guarding our hearts against pride. And this community will need all of us to live this way, to obey these scriptures, to reflect the nature of Christ. So what would it look like today for us to embrace the reality of all that we are and all that we have is God's? 
And we prayerfully listen to the Holy Spirit to live open-handed and obedient to his leading. The second verse is this from verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And if we're honest, there's a connection between the verses that we, we looked at the, in the scriptures. What is harmony? What is harmony? Well, if we looked at a, a dictionary definition, it would say this, the quality of forming a pleasing and consistent whole. The quality of forming a pleasing and consistent whole. When we think about it in music, like we talked about in, in previous weeks, harmony becomes the pleasing and consistent wholeness of the voices coming together, right? And in community, it's us living that out, finding ways to be consistently in pleasing and consistent as a whole. We're to live in such a way that is complementary, elevating others so that together there is unity. And it's easy to be in harmony with people that are just like us. It's easy to do that, our closest friends, which is why we have to look at the whole verse. We can't just look at the first part and say, okay, I know how to be in harmony with people around me, but we need to look at the whole verse, all right, where it says, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Being in harmony with other brothers and sisters in church that aren't like you means a change in your attitude, means a change in your comfort level, means a change in your behaviors, doesn't it? We aren't to be haughty. And what does that word mean? We don't use it all that often. Basically, it boils down to this, that we think too highly of ourselves, that we have a, we have a rather good opinion of ourselves, or at the very least, that we think too much of ourselves, right? And that meaning we think about ourselves too much. And when we're doing one or the other, it doesn't allow us to see others the way God sees them. If we're focused on ourselves and our perceived righteousness, we will not see or meet the needs of others. To associate with the lowly is to find company with, bless, and encourage the poor, the downhearted, and the poor in spirit. And if we look, that's exactly where we find Jesus consistently in Scripture just like Christ, did not consider staying in heaven a priority over coming to earth. We model that within the context of our reality, our unwillingness to be known by and be hospitable to and have community with people who by the world standards may be below where we're at. But it betrays our master, Jesus, who lowered himself and washed the disciples' feet. And we do this because the world has taught us this, don't we? That there's status and there's standards and there's levels to how we are to, to live in life. And that as we gain economic status or any other type of status, that means we leave behind the people at any other status that may be perceived as be below us. And it's not the way God teaches. It divides and looks to elevate ourselves by lowering others. And if you think this is reserved for rich people in our society, you're wrong. 
When I was directing the food bank up in Ottawa, this Life Center, we have our mobile mission here, but in Ottawa they have a, a, physical, a physical location near the church that operates a food bank. When I was there, I would often hear one person nattering about the other person and about how little they had and how worse off they were, but they were both, they were both coming to the food bank in need. Even in, their, even in the depravity of their situation in that moment, they were still creating levels of lowly. It's not about rich and poor. It's about the condition of our hearts and who we see as lower than us. Spend time with lowly. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? When we think ourselves wise, we fall into traps like this, where we think we have figured it out and are doing right, and we want to protect that and keep that going. We think we're on a, in a good groove about how we're supposed to live and what we're doing, and yet it's not quite the way of God. Being hospitable and generous, taking care of needs and living in harmony, they threaten that level of comfort and ease and pleasure. When any time, ease and comfort and pleasure are found outside of God, living in harmony with people is going to threaten it. Today, as we close, there's a number of questions I think we need to ask ourselves. We could go through that whole checklist that I had started earlier, the list of the passage, and maybe I, you want to do that on, in your own time this week, just devotionally go through all the different points of the check marks of, uh, of a, a true Christian. But there's three questions I'd love for us to start with. Number one, what does love require of me in my giving? What does love require of me in my giving? may not be a big step. It may be only a small step that God is asking you to take. Maybe it's a step of faith where you're looking at it and going like, I don't, I don't even know if I have two coins to rub together to give. It's not about the amount per se, but it's about what those two coins mean. Are you willing to allow God to lead your life and be in control of all of it or not? So let God lead you. Don't let me lead you. Don't let... I don't know your bank accounts and I'm never going to see how much you give. I'm never going to know how much you give to the church. So I can never judge you on that. It's between you and God. But what does love require of me in my giving? Number two, what does love require of me in my hospitality? When it, become, when it comes to having an open door, when it comes to receiving people, when it comes to hosting people or seeing people in need, how hospitable am I? What does love require of me? And number three, what does love require of me in living humbly with others, especially the lowly? What does love require of me when it comes to living with the lowly? I know each one of these questions has been challenging to me this last week, how I live, how I give, now I host and my heart condition in those things not whether or not I do them but do I do them begrudgingly 
Do I do them with a little bit of a weight on my back and going, yeah, yeah, sure, people can come over again. Yeah, no, let's have 80 people over for a bonfire. It sounds like a great idea. Do I do that or am I like, I can't wait. Why only 80 people show up? Why didn't everybody come? There's room for them all. Why didn't they come? What is the condition of my heart? With everything that God has given me, everything he has blessed me with, what is the condition of my heart? What does love require of me? As a community, we know that growing in these ways, it's an intimidating process. I'll say this week after week. I'm not, I'm not looking for you, and God isn't looking for you to become perfect by the time you leave the doors today. But I know the Holy Spirit is poking you in some way. I know the Holy Spirit is leading you. He's asking something of you. In some of these questions, he's saying, he was talking to you there. He was talking to you there. Can you hear what I'm asking of you? And so I'd love for us to take one step, find one step that we can take today. Because we can only take one at a time. We can only live well when we take one at a time. So let's do that. Maybe today your church step is this, to call or text a family member this week and remind them of how much you love them. Maybe it's your your personal family or this church family where you just need to tell somebody how much you love them, how much you care for them. Make sure they know how much you care. Or maybe it's this, Maybe you can consider your giving and your generosity. Does it reflect God's best in you? And how can you, con- or can you consider how you can live in harmony? Now, I got, some I-, I got some ideas for how we can live in harmony and how we can give. In our culture, lacking transportation could be considered lowly, can't it? I mean, if you don't have a way to get around town, you don't have a way to, to do things and, and, and go places and do whatever you need to do. You can't just go like, ah, I feel like going here. So I'll just hop in the car and go across town. Or I'll go on a nice tour around the, uh, the, the seaway over there on all the different islands. What is that called again? The parkway, right? Long Sioux Parkway, right? I remember when I first got here, I called it Long Salt, you know? <laughs> such a rookie, such a, such a rookie, Long Salt. Who cares if it's spelt salt? But, you know, long sue, whatever. But you don't have the ability to do that, all right? We have a number of people in our church with no means of their own to get to church on a regular basis. There's no ride. With, or without a ride, they, they can't get here. So maybe you're here today, and you could be a part of that consistent solution. Not a one-time solution but a rotational or a consistent solution of just being able to come a few minutes early, drop somebody off, go downtown, pick somebody up, and attend church. Maybe that could be you today. Also in our culture, infants and children, right? They may not be lowly, but they're definitely, you know, considered less, aren't they? They're overlooked somewhat. Would you consider serving even semi-regularly in our nursery? to give our young parents the ability to come and sit in service and, and not, have, 
not have to hold kids. No, 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 no problems there. You know, they can squawk all they want. I barely even hear it. I've had six kids myself. I never heard any of them crying. It's amazing. <laughs> what a gift from God, right? No. <laughs> maybe I should get my ears checked. One of the two. <laughs> but maybe you could consider, even on a semi-rotation being able to join our nursery team, to be able to give our parents just uh, an, an opportunity to, to sit and receive. We have a TV down there where you can listen and, and stay in, involved and follow in the podcast, but it'd be great if we could do some of these things. And there's so many more ways that God may be speaking to you right now regarding living in harmony, living generously in the community. Be quick to listen to them and be even quicker to obey. Let's pray. God, we just thank you. Father, we thank you that you sent your son. You saw how lowly we were, how much in need we were, and you responded. And Jesus, we thank you that you didn't take any time to respond, but you were, yes, I'll go. You counted the cost, your life, heaven. You counted it. And without a pause, you said, yes, they're worth it. I'll go. But God, you also know our hearts. You know the wrestle that's inside of us with the flesh. The very things we want to do, we don't do. And the very things we don't want to do, we do do the challenge that goes on between us to live the way that you ask us to live, the way you are transforming us to versus the selfish way that our hearts want to. And you're so gracious with us as we walk this out, as we learn what it looks like to reflect you in this community and to the community at large. So may your grace cover us when we fall may your spirit lead us to reflect you more and more each day. We thank you for all that you've done for us, for salvation, and for the strength to live each day. We bless you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.